Howdy folks, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Rediscover the Winds, a Wyoming history podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Larson. And I'm Kirsten Michael. We both work for the Fremont County Museum System located in the heart of West Central Wyoming, where snow-capped mountains and snowshoe hares are just part of our everyday. As always, this episode is brought to you by Mick Pryor, a financial advisor with Edward Jones. Uh, Whether you're planning for retirement, saving for college, or for children or grandchildren, just trying to protect the financial future of the ones you care about most, uh, you can work with Mick to develop specific strategies that will help you to achieve your financial goals. Um, He can also keep an eye on your progress. uh, As we're recording, stocks are kind of having a rough time. Um, The corona. The corona. My corona. Maybe I have started saying that a little bit. Joke about. Probably not. Yeah. It's, you know, wash your hands, people. Wash your hands. And uh, your other precautions to take is to talk to Mick Pryor. Or stay at home and listen to podcasts. Self-isolate. Yeah. It's also. And Mike Pryor also has a phone number. So we don't know it off the top of our head. But if you're bored <laughs> or quarantined over the next few we'll weeks. We'll put it in the show notes. How about that? Sure. Cool. Um. Yeah, it's been kind of a crazy few weeks in the United yeah. States recently. Uh, we're recording this in on the 10th of March. So, uh for just for the historical record, it's been it's been interesting. Um look back in a few years, it'll be this will be a really strange time to look back upon. Yep. Um but looking back at last month, we enticed listeners with histories from Fremont County in the 1920s. Despite being far away from the better-known glitz and glam of bigger cities, the Roaring Twenties still affected our rural Wyoming county. Fremont County was on the edge of mountains and towed the line of the law when it came to making a living and having fun during the 1920s. So now we're on to a new decade, 2020. And just because the year has changed doesn't mean that other things change as well. For example, March is still Women's History Month, and there is still an equality state that's called Wyoming, where we currently live. And uh, this month's episode is going to highlight some of the impressive and uh, even in one case, maybe disreputable women that um, made their homes in the American West and in Fremont County. So one of the ways modern researchers like podcast hosts get information on the various men and women who called Fremont County, Wyoming and the American West their home is from federal census records. So for a quick, quick rehab, Recap, Wyoming just finished celebrating our 150th anniversary of women's suffrage last year, while the U.S. as a whole was still celebrating the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And the 19th Amendment prohibited states and federal government from denying the right to vote to citizens of the United States based on an individual's sex, a.k.a. if you're a man, if you're a woman, you were allowed to vote. Yep. Everybody can vote. Everybody. So I don't know about you, but the census is kind of a strange thing. On one hand, it's this huge, massive event and a huge undertaking um, that is 10 years in the making. You know, as a technology history nerd, it's like one of the things that has pushed the envelope of computing power in, in the early days of computing was like, how can we tabulate the census faster? And these giant IBM machines with punch cards clicking away for hours at a time. Um but on the other hand, it's just, you know, you, you get the form or the guy knocks on your door, you fill in some blanks, check some boxes, and boom, you're a part of the nation's history. So, and I, I can see where you're coming from. Depending on who you are, the census is seen as a big thing or as absolutely nothing spectacular. But an article in the 1926 Courier Dubois newspaper is titled, Census Reveals Astonishing Fact. Talk about grabbing your eye. So what did the article say? What's so 
astonishing. The astonishing fact this article totes was that the 1920 census of manufacturers recorded 8,549,511 women and girls employed in all trades in the United States. That was a 2020 headline. It would end with 8,549,504 will surprise you. (laughs) Sorry, that was a bad clickbait joke. Um, Anyway, did you say the census of manufacturers? Yes. Well, that's a new one. Yeah. And you didn't think we only had one national census, did you? Because if you did, you'd be wrong. Because the first federal population census, which is what we're doing this year, this big um, federal population census that everybody's up in, not arms about, but it's it's on the forefront of our minds. Yeah. Plus, we just did an, art, an episode in January about it. So, But the first one took place in 1790 after Article 1, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution mandated it. Fast forward 30 years to 1810 when Congress decided to measure the country's economic activities after a rapid increase in industrial activity. They didn't do anything super special, though. Uh, Congress just instructed the census takers for the 1810 census to, and I quote, take an account of the several manufacturers within their several districts, territories, and divisions. So Congress just tacked on a few more questions that asked about manufacturing jobs to the normal census year? Yeah, and as time went on, the census included non-manufacturing businesses as well as, like, retail stores, lumber yards, and butcher shops. In 1902, though, Congress established a permanent census bureau that was going to be in charge of the census that the nation was going to have done. And included in the Census Bureau's directive was the creation of a census of manufacturers, which would take place every five years. And so the 1905 Census of Manufacturers was a milestone as it marked the first time a census of any kind was taken separately from the federal decennial population census. And so what are the census, what are there any other censuses that we should know about? I mean, you don't need to know about them, but they're fun to know about. What um, else are they spying on us about? They're not spying. <laughs> Or at least they're really terrible spies if they're coming to your front door. Uh, The Census Bureau conducted the first census of business, which is different from manufacturers, in 1930. And this census covered retail and wholesale trade and was eventually broadened to include some service trades. The government suspended this economic census during World War II because, like a lot of other programs, World War II just really interrupted everything um, and took main stage from a lot of programs. But... After World War II ended, the Census of Business started, uh, the Census Bureau started again with the 1947 Census of Manufacturers and the 1948 Census of Business. And then in 1967, Congress started the Economic Census. Yeah, I know way too much about this topic. Um, But the 1967 Economic Census measures all non-government domestic non-farm business establishments, (laughs) and the first assessment of minority-owned businesses began in 1969. And interestingly enough, though, and this is appropriate to talk about since it's Women's History Month, um, a census of women-owned businesses didn't actually start in the United States until years later. So today, um, well, I guess speaking of that... We did allude to this a little bit. Um, when, when I was doing the research in Riverton's Prohibition stuff for last month's episode, um, one, I don't know if the prominence probably not the right word, maybe more notorious. Infamous. Infamous uh, woman business owner kept coming up, the name of Maxine Woods, um, who 
basically ran a house of ill repute um, that doubled, tripled, quadrupled as a speakeasy in uh, what was then Riverton's Red Light District. Uh, this particular place, well, you'll get to find out where it's from, and uh, maybe we'll put a little, I've got a, a, a great map that, that we can maybe attach to a Facebook post that'll show mm-hmm. a little bit about it. But um, she was all over the newspapers, and most of the articles, she must have been, I don't know who, I would love to research more about her. If anybody knows anything about Maxine Woods, uh, please come find me at the Riverton Museum. I would love to, like, have have a subject file or even a, a thing about her. She just seemed so fascinating from all of the... Uh, she was in a lot of news articles about prohibition, about speakeasies, and they almost all ended with something like, and Maxine Woods escaped arrest again, or something <laughs> like that. Like, I don't know who she was paying off. I don't know if she had really good lawyers. I don't know if she just was totally innocent. Um, but she seemed to be tied with a suspicious number of um, illegal practices. Anyway, I've got an article here from the Riverton Review from uh, 1919. So it's not really a, quite a census year, but uh, across the uh, the street from her house of ill repute was the, uh, well, the Wimpenny Elevator. So the owner of that elevator wrote this. He says, having noticed the various articles appearing in the Chronicle and Review recently in connection with the past and present immoral condition of the town, T.I. calls to mind a very flagrant case in connection with the house of something. Do we want to say prostitution on our podcast? Yes. Okay. We're historians, remember? That's right. Uh, A flagrant case in connection with the house of prostitution directly across the road from our establishment, Wimpenny Elevator, operated by Maxine Woods. Um, when this house was first built, not being satisfied with confining the building operation to three cornered, the three-cornered lot opposite our office, they outgrew the boundary of this lot and encroached on our railroad lease. The writer took the matter up with the land commissioner of the Northwestern Road, meaning railroad. Shortly afterward, the house was removed from the lease and moved 20 feet south and said 20 feet, co- 20 feet south, said 20 feet comprising the open alley in block six. Just before this was done, the writer was asked if he would allow the present fence to remain on the railroad lease for about 10 days till the house could be removed onto the alley and was told that permission had been granted to the madam to move into the city alley and for that privilege, a rental of $20 per month was to be paid. Who was to receive this rental was not divulged. The property owner told me in the presence of the city attorney that he went to a member of the present city council and complained about the house being put on a public alley and all the satisfaction he got was to be told that it did not hurt him and the house would remain where it was. So definitely, you know, she was almost certainly a very shrewd businesswoman. And uh, But unfortunately, the way the census was done, a lot of stuff like that wouldn't necessarily have been recorded in official federal documents. To be fair, if, if she owned that business today, it probably wouldn't end up in the census of businesses. I, I don't know. Times are changing, man. That's true. Uh, either way, I mean, prostitutes in Riverton, prostitutes in Dubois, brothels yeah. on Main Street. Eh. 20s were a crazy time. Not that we're saying women couldn't own and do other businesses. Oh, and certainly they did. Mm-hmm. But these are just some of the more colorful yeah. ones. And we like we like those colorful stories as historians. Yeah. Like, take, for example, Marion Moore was the wife of Charlie Moore, and she helped Charlie Moore run and owned the CM Ranch, which still 
works um, or operates east of Dubois today. Um, we had, oh, what was her name? Ethel Renner. Mm-hmm. We did a podcast episode, mini episode last year on who was a hotel owner um, in Oklahoma who ended up coming to Wyoming yeah. after a run-in with the mob or mafia um, or Beulah Peterson crime. Walker of Home on the Range. But it's just this idea of um, the federal census didn't always – it only recorded for the longest time the head of household, which – for the longest time, was usually just the male. Um, very rarely was the head of household a woman, or if so, it was a widowed woman. Um, but there's just there's a lot of blank spaces in the census records, but there's also a lot of really cool information, like addresses, sections of towns, um, businesses in homes kind of thing that you can look at and see if you decide to dive into the archival records of an area and look at census records like that. Yeah, and I mean, just, you know, I guess, for example, um, in 1926, uh, the fact is that there are 8 million, we'd already talked about that, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, over 8 million women and girls in all trades. Um, Mind you, the population at the time was... Substantially smaller. Yes. I think right now we have like 380 million people in the country. I mean, 8 million today is not that much, but... Well, I think in the 1890 census, Wyoming had like 60,000 people. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Yeah. We had to have 60,000 people because the only way to become a state was to have a certain mm-hmm. amount of population. But anyway, so the point of this episode was really just kind of talking about women in the census, women as business owners. Um, we could do another miniseries. We don't have time to do miniseries right now. We as would love to. but We would love to. I do have one other, another North Fork story. We'll get Lander tied Go in here it. a little bit. So... We used to run some cattle, us and some family friends, in, in North Fork, which is, you know, on the North Fork of the Popoja River, North Atlanta. I almost said Popo Aggie just to trigger all of the... Because we've been mo- making fun of the people yeah. who do say it wrong. So, um, and uh, on the, on this lease that we have, it's a school section lease from the state. There's like uh, a two-story log house and some other outbuildings. And so we've always like kind of been curious about the people that own them and there's, you know, and there's names scratched into the plaster inside of them. And it's, they're just, they're, they're cool. In fact, they're not hard to find. I'm sure that a lot of Lander natives that have driven on Lander's roller coaster know exactly what I'm talking about, exactly where it is. They've seen it off on the, on the side of the road. Um, just, <laughs> it sounds weird to say South of North second, but North second turns and heads East to West for a while. Madness. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I tell you. And, so my wife, who uh, has her, her degree in, in, in family um, history and genealogy, did a project about the, the, that property. Um, it was owned by John Steers. So John Steers was, uh, was born in 1843 in New York, and he married Rosel- Rosalia in 1863, and they moved to North Fork in Fremont County, Wyoming, in time for the 1900 federal census to be taken. She had five kids, all of whom were still living in 1900. Um, two children were found living with John and Rosalia in Wyoming, Roy in, in 1885, and Glenn, born in 1898. So the property they lived on, anyway, that, that's that's where it was. And uh, they go, they're, they're found in the 1880, 1870, and the 1910 censuses. Um, they might have even been in the 1860 census, but sadly... That one no longer exists. Dun, dun, dun. RIP in 1860 census. Um, so they were married about 1863, 
they started appearing in the census records together. They, um, anyway, the amount of information that you can glean from censuses about families, even, even clear back in the 1860s and 1870s, I guess not 1860s, 1870s. So for example, we, we know that William was born in 1865, William Steers. Uh, he lived on, on property near the other Steers place. He had parents that were from New York and here's some other tidbits from the census. He's a farmer. That's his occupation. He can read. He can speak English. He owned their farm. Um, <clears throat> his wife was born in 1874. Uh, she was born in Ohio. Her father was born in Ohio. She can also read and write and speak English. We also find, like, if you just look at the censuses, there was, like, a saloon keeper in North Fork. So apparently somewhere out there there was a bar because, of course, there was. Of course there was. And uh, just, I don't know. I don't know that this really has much of a point, but it's just, it's really fun to see it's just some all of the of details the, that yeah. you can, when somebody like Zach's wife wants to go do a research project, the archives, the census records offer a ton of information. Yeah. yeah and so, like, I mean, it's just, it's really, really cool to see how much, especially if you look at several censuses for the same person in a row, if you can find them, you can see like, where they've moved and you can kind of tie that into like the greater historical context and see, Oh, they must've moved. You know, there's a good chance that maybe like somebody moved because of economic situations that forced them out of New York or, you know, I don't know. It's just really cool to, to see, to be able to track individuals throughout censuses and see where they've gone. It's, it's a lot more than just in this year, this many people lived in this place mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's really an invaluable, um, I guess, record for future historians. So like maybe I guess the whole point of this is fill out your census stuff. <laughs> well, we should get paid for being a sponsor yeah, of the census. Um, but as historians, I mean, we use past records. Um, remember from our last or our January episode that census records aren't actually released until 70 years after mm -hmm. they were taken because of rules and laws and privacy things. So yeah. the most recent we have access to is 19. 40? Yeah. 50. Yeah, sure. I can't do math. Like I just said, we're historians. Um, but yeah, so this episode was really just kind of talking about censuses, women in the census, and what kind of information mm -hmm. we can glean about female presence in Fremont County and Wyoming. Um, there was one old-timer who made the comment that without women, the Wind River Valley would be a much a, a much emptier place. Yeah. Um, just because one, we make up half the population, but two, um, women really did. They became the nurses, the doctors. They were the people who worked the ranch. They tilled the fields mm -hmm. and stuff like that in with men or without them kind of thing. Yeah. And those contributions of those women is so often just, you know, completely missing from the historical record. It's, it's, um, well, like, like we've talked about, there just wasn't like a, an occupation thing. If that was for the head of household, who was the man, but that really, um, I guess, I get now kind of looking back, we can definitely, um, honor the contributions that all of those women made. I know that like a lot of these, especially like the agricultural life is a tough, tough mm -hmm. life. And these, these, these ranch wives must've been just some of the toughest. 
I would have to agree. From the textile factories yeah. in New York City to the lonely cattle drive life that some women had to occupy. Mm-hmm. And men did occupy these places too, but their stories are often recorded and told more. But Yeah, and even, even just like... <laughs> holding down the homestead while mm-hmm. dad's away for six months at a time, taking care of a couple of kids and like probably shooting wild game and chopping it, the head of a poisonous snake yeah. with a shovel. That's another story we could get into, um, which was a modern day woman who did that. And that is the best way to chop off the head of a poisonous snake with a shovel. Yep. Yeah. Because life in Wyoming, life anywhere is yeah. pretty challenging, but life, in Wyoming with mother nature trying to kick our butts every other day. It's an interesting story to tell, but which brings us into our next month's topic of episode, um, which is agriculture and human stubbornness of tilling the fields where there are no fields to till. Um, But thank you so much for joining us for this episode of rediscover the winds, a Wyoming history podcast. We have several more podcast episodes planned for you guys. Next month, we're telling the story of agriculture in Fremont County. And don't go writing off this episode as boring or for the farmers amongst you because the growing business in northwestern Wyoming is nothing to wrinkle your nose at. Yeah, it might be something to plug your nose at from time to time because agriculture can sometimes produce odors Just some that, odors. <laughs> that everybody who's ever driven through the West is familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, also, anyone who's ever lived in the city knows that they don't exactly smell like roses either. So That's true. maybe our stinks better than theirs. At least cow pie smell is natural. That's right. Um, so anyway, the struggle to tame Wyoming's wild landscape for agriculture is a tale of many facets involving crafty engineering, a lot of cussing and a lot of praying and loads of pure human stubbornness. So check with us next month. We'll tell you all about the man who grew 3,000 heads of lettuce out of spite, uh, the farmer who refused to submit to Mother Nature, and the guy who, when he couldn't get tin to ship his agricultural produce abroad, he uh, found innovative way to sell it closer to home. Yeah, so if you liked what you heard today, like us on Facebook at Rediscover the Winds, and make sure to to subscribe to all of our various podcast platforms that we are present on. Uh, so anything like, you know, we're on Spotify, we're on Facebook, we are on YouTube, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google. Tencast, Tencast. County Tens Podcast Network. We're everywhere. We discover the wins. We're the first Google result, which is something I think we're kind of proud of. Yes, I would have to agree. We're probably the first Bing result, too. Yeah, but who uses Bing? <laughs> if you've already followed us on our various platforms, thank you. Your support means the world to us, and we hope you guys get the chance to visit our museums or attend some of our upcoming museum events. Hey, listeners, Zach jumping in here on editing day, uh, just to let you know that the events that you have that will play coming up no longer probably have accurate dates or times uh, due to the coronavirus outbreak. We have had to postpone most of our upcoming events and some of them may even be canceled so please check with our social media pages to to find out more information about those um and with so, that here's um, back to the original it's recording. finally getting nice out which means that it's going to be time for some nicer weather events here coming up uh spring is in the air so we'll start off with two riverton museum springtime events the first one is just something that we've started doing last year that we're going to do every year and that is our annual Easter egg hunt. Um, basically what we do is uh, it's a great time to visit the museum 
And when you come with your family and bring your, uh, you know, come visit the museum with your family, we have hidden, well, the Easter bunny, not us, <laughs> has hidden Easter eggs all around the museum for the whole week before Easter from uh, April 6th. That's the Monday, right? I have no idea. Yeah, April 6th. April 6th through April 9th, and then also April 11th. We are closed for Good Friday. So that's... Uh, so that is a children's exploration program sponsored no. by... It. Oh, it's not. That's just, a, that's just a thing we do. Oh. That's not a sponsored event because it's not like... JK. Not like any history going on there. We just think that it's fun to have people come to the museum and uh, look for some Easter eggs as well as take in some of our exhibits in our local history. So uh, each kid gets to take home 10 prize-filled Easter eggs... And, uh, and that's that. But what is part of our children's exploration series sponsored by Bailey Tire and Auto Service is making a telegraph. And that is on March 21st at uh, between 2 to 4 p.m. Yeah. It says 7 p.m. on our cheat sheet. That would be late for a kid's program. Yeah. But basically... Um, we're going to learn how early methods of long-distance communication work, and along the way, we're going to absorb some uh, information about how basic electrical circuits work and where electro electromagnets come from. Um, so it's definitely a science and technology-focused event, uh, STEM-focused, um, and uh, we'll put it all together. We'll build some working telegraphs, and we'll try to send a message to the other room using Morse code. should be a really fun event, um, and a, the cost for that is $10 per participant for materials. Okay, so kids program, so general Easter egg hunt at the Riverton Museum. Don't miss it. It will be awesome. The to Make a Telegraph event, both children, that one's the children's series yeah. event. Um, but then we also have our Wyoming Community Bank sponsored Discovery Speaker Series. And we have, man, how is it already getting this busy in our calendar? I so know. the first upcoming one is on March 19th at the Dubois Museum at 7 o'clock in the evening, titled Glaciers of the Winds. And Jackie Clancher, professor at Central Wyoming College's Alpine Science Institute, will begin the night with a short presentation on her research on the retreat of the Wind River glaciers. And then um, Kyle Nikoloff from Wyoming PBS will join the discussion and show the film, the PBS film, Glaciers of the Winds. So this award-winning documentary discusses the law of alpine glacial ice in Wyoming and the implications this ice loss has on the human and ecological communities downstream. All right, and then also at the Lander Museum on April 9th at 7 p.m., uh, historian and reenactor Ray Maple is going to present an animated talk about Butch Cassidy and other infamous Wyoming outlaws. So, and that's at April 9th at 7 p.m. again at the Pioneer Museum in Lander. So don't miss it. It will be a hoot. Yeah. Um, thanks again for listening to this Wyoming History Podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten, from the Dubois Museum and the Wind River Historical Center. And I'm Zach from the Riverton Museum. We look forward to continuing this adventure to rediscover the winds with you next time.